God has a plan for your life. So that's the video, God has a plan for your life. And my guest is uh, um, E. Michael Jones. Uh, would I be able to call you Michael through this? Or Sure, sure. Okay. My name is Joseph, you know that. So, uh, Michael, I just wanted to uh, introduce you. Uh, but the thing is, I get a little tired of everybody. Does this make you laugh? Everybody introduced you as a prolific author. And you are, but everyone uses that exact word, prolific author. You write so many books, and it, it's kind of like a given, you know. Yeah, that's true. I, I think I qualify as prolific. Yeah, you do. I'm not going to be insul- I'm not going to be insulted if you call me prolific. <laughs> All right. So prolific author, E. Michael Jones. Um, the, but the main book we want to talk about today is um, Logos Rising: A History of the Ultimate Reality. Unfortunately, because of what happened with COVID, I'm still waiting for my physical copy. But we'll get it. I'm sure we will. Um, I, is there any update on that for people who are still waiting, or is, uh, have you? Cleared? It's, it it, de- it depends on where you are. We right. have all different situ- all types different situations that apply for the delivery of the book. Okay. A, a shipload of them went over to Europe when they realized they didn't have the planes. So a shipload arrived in June, uh, and people got them all over Europe. So it depends on the post office. Some post offices are still shut down. Right. Where, okay. where are you? Right, I, if, I'm if sorry. I'm, out, I'm about forty miles uh, yeah, forty miles uh, west of Philadelphia. In Reading, outside of Reading, Pennsylvania. Well, that, that should have gotten there. There's no question. It depends on when you ordered it. Okay. Well, I'm not complaining. Believe me, I, I can't. Okay. I, I can't wait. <laughs> there should be no problems with delivery. We can track it. So there's always individual problems. This sure. is what you realize when, when you get starting sending out a lot of stuff. There's always individual problems that you can't anticipate. But you should be able to. You should be getting it soon. Okay, well, I like, I like to start a discussion with a prayer because I think it's relevant. And I've seen that other people have started with, this is a Catholic prayer. It's from the Eastern Rite Liturgy, Eastern Rite Catholic, and it's called the uh, Heavenly King Prayer. So, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly King, Comforter, Spirit of Truth, you are everywhere present, and you fill all things with glory. Um, come and dwell within us, cleanse us of all that defiles us, and, O oh, good Lord, save our souls. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Now, Michael, would you say that's a prayer to the Logos? Sure. Yes. I mean, it's yes. more specifically for, for uh, enlightenment of the mind, that's more specifically, but all prayers are to the Logos, because Logos is God. Right. So um, are you familiar, you're familiar with this book from Tan Books, uh, The Holy Ghost, Our Greatest Friend? No, not familiar okay. with that book. It's a short. It's just a little short pamphlet, and it's basically got some really nice stuff about it. But my my question is, I see. Is there a direct? Did you make a direct corollary between the Holy Spirit and the Logos? Or are they separate things, conceptually? There, they are both separate and not separate because uh, they are three persons in one God. And okay. I am. I did not emphasize the Holy Spirit at all in Logos Rising. I emphasized the relationship between the Father and the Son. Okay. Because when when Saint John was talking about the Logos, uh, he was talking primarily about the it was the story of Jesus Christ, who is the Logos incarnate and the second person of the Blessed Trinity, and he was the man who started that uh, 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 an intellectual odyssey that would last three hundred years uh, before they could come the Church could come up with an understanding of the Trinity. Uh, and so he started that by referring to Jesus Christ as number one, as the Logos. He said the Logos is with God and that the Logos is God. Now, uh, that may seem contradictory, but that's exactly what the Trinity is about, both being with God and God at the same time. And as I said, for 300 years, the church debated that and came up with the formula of homoousion, which meant right. that the Son is one being with the Father. Right, and um, uh, the, um, the the discussion on the Logos, so, so technically what you're saying is, of course it's not wrong to say the Logos is the Holy Spirit, but in the sense of how the, uh, the Catholic Church holds the Holy Spirit itself, it, when they define things about the Holy Spirit, it's not just about the Holy Spirit. Is that what you're saying? Is yeah, well, it's, it's uh, the Trinity is, uh, you could talk about it, 
as being, knowing, and loving. Right. And you could talk about the, the life of Christ on earth where he would talk about, you know, I have, I have to go to the Father. I have to go back to the Father before the Holy Spirit can come uh, among right. you. It's a very mysterious thing. So that was, that was, that was uh, 50, days, 50 days after the crucifixion. It, it was known as Pentecost. Right. And suddenly the, the apostles who were before full of fear of the Jews hiding in the upper room suddenly were full of courage and, and logos in a sense because they could speak languages that they, they had never learned. Everybody understood them. Uh, even though they were all different, spoke different languages. So this was like super Logos, uh, because Logos is, of course, the uh, speech in its fundamental meaning. It's word and speech and language in its fundamental meaning. And here you had a super infusion of Logos into the church and by extension into the human race, where people who were normally enemies who couldn't even talk to each other now could understand this new infusion of Logos and that there was a new era in history. Michael, was the was is the world was the world did the world become a different place after Pentecost? Literally, yes, it did. Yes, okay. it was no longer subject to the futility of sin. Now people wondered what that meant. You know, how do, what does that mean? Does that mean people are incapable of sin? No, no, you're still subject to the tragedy of history. Or not the tragedy of history, the tragedy of human uh, choosing, human beings choosing to good, choosing evil. Right, right, but right. But we've reached a point where these, these people are no longer going to hold down the upward flow of Logos. And that was the case which before I'm sorry, I'm uh, sorry. Jesus Christ arrived. What, which people were no longer going to? The people who were there at Pentecost the first uh, uh, disciples of Christ understood now that Logos could not be held down anymore. And that, okay. that's what gave them that sense of power, that they could go out and talk to people that they could never talk to before. Right. They had power that they never had before because the power of Logos had been unleashed by the resurrection. That the, the Jesus Christ was the Logos incarnate, and now the, wor the, the world was a different place because it had been released from utility of sin. We, we have no idea. I tried to convey this at the beginning of the book, the first half of the book, the struggle, the struggle of Logos at the beginning. And, and the beginning of the book is basically the, it begins, uh, obviously it begins at the absolute beginning. It begins right, with right. the beginning of everything. The beginning I mean, of the beginning. If we're talking about Logos, the beginning of Logos, that began in the, uh, the eighth century BC, and that was a time when, uh, first of all, Homer appeared in writing after a, after a lapse of probably 400 years when civilization completely collapsed. It completely collapsed between 1200 and 800 B.C. It's a, a phenomenon, it's one of these mysterious phenomena archaeologists are still trying to figure out, but everybody knows it collapsed. That is the possibility, uh, that was the possibility, one of the options, one of the possibilities of the world before the incarnation of Jesus Christ. You could have a total collapse of Logos, a total collapse of civilization, forgetting how to write, forgetting all these things that, that they had struggled to achieve so laboriously. Well, are, that's are, not going to happen are, are, Yeah, but in a, in a certain sense, wouldn't you say we're sort of right there right now? It seems like to be a collapse of Logos right now. We're in a struggle. We're, there, there, there's no question we're in the middle of a revolutionary struggle right now. And I've described the parameters of that revolutionary struggle in the Jewish revolutionary spirit, which came out uh, 11 years ago. So if you put these two books together, you have the history of Logos, which I just wrote, Logos Rising, and then the Jewish revolutionary spirit is the history of anti-Logos in human history, beginning with the... Uh, the crucifixion again when the Jews rejected Jesus Christ and chose revolution as the alternative to Logos was that's it, was what it? we're doing right now to bring it to bring it absolutely up to date yes. uh, there is a battle uh, over the statue of st. Louis in st. Louis that fits in perfectly with what we're talking about right now the forces of anti Logos uh, uh, backed by the Jews as they always are uh, trying to 
uh, basically take revolutionary control of the city as part of the general revolution that's taking part in the United States of America right now. Well, would you um, would you say well to go back first off, I was trying to drill down into this topic. Uh, I was trying to get less historical. Not that I don't love the history of what you're talking about. I was trying to find a more in, inspirational note from your logos book because. I've seen all the videos on it, and it, I, I totally agree with it, and I think anybody with any intelligence would agree with your uh, historical, um, but I'm trying to drill down to the more, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm at a loss for words, Holy Spirit help me, uh, is the more ins inspirational and encouraging parts of Logos. All right, well, let's. Let's go. Let's go back to the to the video that we started the program with. Right. Okay. God has a plan for your life. It's yes. In perfectly with what I said about logos. It fits in perfectly with the logos book. Okay. So you have uh, th th this is this is good news. Okay. I, I said I said in this video that if I had set out on my walk uh, five minutes earlier or five minutes later, I never would have met this woman. There would right. have been no one to talk to her when she stood on the ledge. Now, that is something I could not have planned, nor right. could she have planned. I'm sure she, when she set out to, for the bridge that day, she did not plan on meeting this old white guy with an umbrella. Right. She didn't plan it. Someone, But that doesn't mean it wasn't planned. There is a Logos there. There is a Logos of human history that goes down to even details like that. So I'm saying, so the way the gospel talk, talks about it, it says, the hairs on your head are numbered. Right. That's what the gospel says. In other words, this mind, the well, ultimate mind, it's easier <laughs> to do with your head than it is with mine. Yes, huh? right. <laughs> but yeah, so, no, uh, that's very... This mind, uh, this logos that we're talking about is so powerful that it can, uh, it can see a, a, a universal order in the minutest particular. And that applies not only to space, but it applies to time. And that, that, is, that is what we're talking about here. Now, because of that, that doesn't abrogate uh, the tragedy uh, of human history, which is always caused by sin. Mm -hmm. Sin is always an abrogation of God's plan, but it can't be a total abrogation, because if that were the case, God wouldn't be in charge of human history. Right. And if he weren't in charge of human history, he wouldn't be God. So this, uh, this encounter was planned. I mean, it could not have been planned by either of us, but it was planned. And we had the encounter, and at that moment, we had choices. Both of us had choices. I mean, when that lady approached me, I could have just, I could have been fearful, because, right. hey, she's black and I'm white. Maybe she's going to shoot me, you know? Right. And I could have just brushed her aside and kept on walking. Yeah, and she could have, right. I could have done that. You know, I could have said, look, I, no, I don't have a cell phone. See you later. Or right, she, right. at that point, could have said, oh, you don't have a cell phone. And then she could have jumped in the river. But she didn't because of some free will on her part and some free will on my part. And God had that programmed into all the course of human history, every bit as much as he had, you know, the, 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 the birth of Napoleon and the conquest and the failure to conquer Russia. All of these things were all in a sense, programmed. They're all in etern an eternal pattern in his mind, but they're all dependent on free will as it expresses itself in time. Something similar to what um, Franklin said, not that he's a good Christian author, but Franklin said, for the one of a nail, the horse was lost, and so on and so forth. Would it be something along those right. lines? Yeah. So I'm, say I'm saying that this is, so the other part of it is that this Logos uh, cares about you. And that's something that Aristotle did not know. Probably the greatest mind in human history. And he didn't know it because he didn't understand creation. He didn't think there was a creation. He thought the world was eternal. He thought in order to be God, you had to live in a completely transcendental realm, which meant you lived in the world of eternal forms, which meant you couldn't really concern yourself about history because that's time and time is nothing but confusion. Well, that's not good news. That's not good news if you want to commit suicide, if <laughs> right. you're thinking of jumping off the bridge. That's not Correct. good news at all. Right. Uh, and so Plato understood that. Or, uh, uh, Plato 
had a different sense of God, uh, 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 but as soon as God is involved in human history, he's not transcendent anymore. So you've got a dilemma. Either God cares for you, in which case he's not transcendent, in which case he's not God, or he's really God, in which case he's completely transcendent, and he doesn't really matter what you do because he's not involved in time. Well, guess what? The Trinity resolved that contradiction because you had three persons in one God and, and two of them were uh, especially noted for the fact that one is transcendent, namely the Father, as being itself, and the other is imminent, actually more imminent than any God before because he took on flesh and became a human being and lived among us. So there's the resolution to your problem and that's why it's good news because it's both. That God has complete power, complete sovereign power, and he's got complete interest and love in you and all the particulars of your life. Now that's something to celebrate. That is, and it was Christ himself who made the connection that called God the Father, a father for us, as opposed to like just this transcendent, not in not caring being. He was our Father. He actually has love for us. Every listen, every every culture, every language knew that. Every language had a concept of God as Father. Right, so right. In, yeah. in, in Indo-European Indo was Dias Peter, and then that became Zeus Pater, right. and then that became for the Greeks, and then it became Jupiter for the Romans. So everyone knew that God was a Father. But then that was all they knew. And they knew it intuitively, and then when they tried to uh, make something out of it, they ended up with in the dead end of mythology. And the culmination of that would be something like the Odyssey or Gilgamesh, uh, where Odyssey has not only is he a father, he's got a beard, he's got a wife, he gets angry, he, he, he you know, favors, favors <laughs> Trojans, Trojans over Greeks or Greeks over right. Trojans, he's part of the battle and so on and so forth. So, no, that's a dead end. And that's, that's why Socrates said you shouldn't teach poetry because poetry meant the Iliad. And that gave you a bad understanding of God, and you more more often than not imitated all of God's bad habits, with any understanding that God cannot have bad habits. Right. Period. What kind of God can have bad habits? That's true. The, That's can't the problem be with God. the mythologies, right? I've always had a trouble with that when I, even when I was in high school. About well, how are they called gods when they're so pernicious and and self-serving and backbiting? I mean, that's not God, as far as I can see. That would be no. good. Right. Um, so the the, per, the Persians had a refinement on that, and they were Zoroastrians, and they believed there were two gods, uh, a good god and an evil god. Well, that's right. that's a, a step forward. But, I mean, if the good right. god can't destroy the evil god, he's not all-powerful. Right. Which and if he's god? not all-powerful, right. he's not god. So there goes that god. There goes that god down the drain. So to... To to your point, then, is it possible? Is this is this straight? Is this straight determinism, or can can we? I don't want to say direct because that's too strong a word. But it's the only one that's coming to my mind. Can we direct logos in our lives? Maybe through prayer or through faith. Okay. You, can, you can you can appeal to logos. You can't order logos around. Right. No, uh, that's, called, that that's called uh, that's called that's uh, called. Uh, idolatry right. uh, or or, or devil worship or what, whatever you want to call it but that's what that's magic right, when right, you think magic. you can order God around because you're not ordering God you're ordering evil spirits who will do if you if you commit a heinous crime you may very well attract an evil spirit who will right, see a right. prospecting but you can't order God around all you can do is sub subject yourself to God's plan and try to discern it try to discern God's plan uh, because that's the source of your happiness. In his will, our happiness is what, uh, is what Dante said. If you, if you had a, um, a particular saint, if you had to choose one saint or saints uh, who would be the patron saint of Logos, as you describe it in your book, which saint would you say? It, or is there any saint that could be a patron saint? Saint John. Saint John the Divine John of, the, of the Gospel of Evangelism. Absolutely. Right? So just simply because he was the first to bring this forward into history by by fusing the concepts of the, the Greeks, you said, the, the fusing the concept of the Greeks 
which wasn't understood at the time. I'm sorry. Go ahead. You may you can fill me in there. <laughs> well, he he he, he created a, a marriage of of uh, Greek philosophy and Hebrew uh, prophecy, Hebrew scripture. It was the, the failing, marriage, failing the of offspring Saint, of. It was a failing of Saint Paul. You had said the failing. It wasn't a failing of Saint Paul. It was an incompleteness that Saint Paul couldn't complete, but John was able to complete. Is that, is that fair? Well, I mean, if you, if you, if you go back to the situation, uh, St. Paul was a Jew, but he spoke Greek. And so in that, he was unlike St. Peter, who was a Jew who could not speak Greek. Right. And uh, St. Paul uh, was going from one synagogue to the other, and the Jews, as they usually do, uh, <laughs> immediately suppressed Logos. You know, now they, they get you banned from Amazon right. and YouTube, but back yeah, then... Right. Back then, the Jews uh, who hated Logos would expel you from the synagogue. And so at a certain point, he realized, I can't talk to the Jews anymore. And at that point, he had a dream, and there was someone gesturing him to come across to Thessalonica, which is the Greek side of the Adriatic, not the Adriatic, the Greek side of the Aegean. Okay, and at that point, he went over there, and he decided, I'm going to preach to the, to the Gentiles, to the Greeks. He knew Greek, spoke fluent Greek, went to Athens. Uh, come there, he'd originally been in Ephesus. In Ephesus, there was a situation where the town was run by silversmiths who had uh, made little statues uh, to Diana. Right. And, and that was the source this of the one the Protestants beat us over the head with, this story. This is the one the Protestants beat us over the head with. Yeah. So, <laughs> so he, he basically took his idea of Athens from Ephesus, and it didn't apply. A Athens was not like that. He was not talking to idol worshippers. Uh, in Ephesus, he was talking to a philosophical society called the Areopagus. And I, I mean, I know this is presumptuous of me, but I, I, I made the claim that he made the wrong speech. The speech <laughs> that he gave to the Areopagus, whether, whether that's true or not, he certainly failed. He, right. he didn't, it was not a successful speech. Nobody said two, two people converted. But uh, when he said, uh, I want to tell you about Jesus uh, and, and this man uh, died and he rose from the dead and he cares about you and at this point the, the Greeks kind of roll their eyes and say well, well we'll talk to you about this some other time and they all walked out because in order to talk about Jesus you have to introduce him and the only introduction he had previous to this time was the uh, genealogy at the beginning of St. Matthew's Gospel and I think John understood the failure understood Paul's failure at the Areopagus, and he's, he, the idea, I think he got the idea that if we're going to talk to Greeks, we need a new gospel. And that was the fourth gospel, and that's the one that begins by talking about Logos. These Greeks are not going to know who these Hebrew dudes are. They don't know who they are. I've never heard of them. It's not going to matter that Jehoiakim begat so-and-so. Does That right. doesn't mean anything to them. But if you say, in the beginning there was Logos, and Logos was with God, and Logos is God, you've, you've entered into a philosophical discussion that has t been taking place ever since Heraclitus, uh, 500 years earlier, who was also an Ephesian, or lived in Ephesus. And, you and I think that would... I'm sorry, and you point out this uh, historical moment in your book. Right, right. Um, I think that's the crucial turning point here. That's early on in the book. That's the beginning of the book, would you say? Or? No, it's in the middle of the book because okay. uh, the beginning is the beginning of everything. And this <laughs> we're talking about the transition that takes place with the incarnation. Our, again, our Protestant brethren always accuse us of baptizing paganism. Right. baptizing some pagan well or some <laughs> right, type right. of pagan custom like Christmas. <laughs> humbug. <laughs> uh, humbug. You and your Christmas tree. Jesus Christ never had a Christmas tree. Right. Oh, I didn't know that. So what? So then I would turn to our separated brethren and I'd say, well, do you reject the gospel of St. John? I, I thought you folks believed in Sola Scriptura. Right. You're going to reject the God. Well, wait a minute. That's pagan. First of all, did John invent his own language? No. Do you have to? Do you have to? If, because you're a Christian, you have to speak a completely new language that no one ever. No, of course not. You speak the language that your mother taught you, and the language of the world, 
at that time was Greek. The right. universal language was Greek. And that's what he spoke. And he not only wrote in the language, not only adopted the language, he adopted the philosophical tradition that was embedded in those words, in words like logos. Right. Because God said that was a worthy enterprise. That was worth preserving. Well, we could we could go we could go way down the path talking about the process. We're not going to go there today. I want to save this for truly Catholic discussion, and and, and believe me, I'm all about what you just said. <laughs> um, have you just in in terms of your book itself? So I have a question. Um, have you presented your book to for a review to any Catholic prelates or gotten a review back from anybody like a, a priest, bishop, anybody on on the logos? No. no. Um, do you, do you, well that, cause that kind of leads to my second question. Would you categorize your book as a history book, a science book or a theological book, I guess, or all three? It's, it's a Logos book. A Logos, Logos book. It's own, it's own. So first of all, what is it? It's, <laughs> if you wanted to nail it, uh, it's a history of, it's the lo history of Logos and it's the Logos of history, which means it's in some sense, a history of philosophy. A history of metaphysics. I guess you could categorize it as a history of metaphysics. Now that is in some sense a contradiction in terms because metaphysics is always dealing with being qua being and there's no history of being qua right. being. That has no history. It is. But the understanding that human beings have of the ultimate reality has evolved over time and that's what the book describes. Well, to give you a little pushback, though, I mean, to be fair, you're making some, you do make some, or maybe I'm misreading what you're saying, but you are making some theological assertions that as Catholics we have to be careful of, or do you, you know what I'm trying to say? First of all, uh, one of the terms for metaphysics is theology. Okay. That is one of the terms that, uh, that Aristotle used. Because when you're dealing with being, qua being, you're dealing with God. There's no way around it. That's what God is. He's a self-subsistent being. And even the Hebrews got this. When Moses asked uh, God, Yahweh, well, how am I, what's your name? God said, I am who am. Now, that was 1325 B.C., and I guarantee you there's not one Hebrew, including Moses, who understood what that meant because they simply did not have the vocabulary of being. They didn't have it. Only right. the Greeks would have that, and they would only have it a thousand years later. So no one understood it. You just had to pass it along as something you didn't understand. I would say not even until Aquinas did we really have a clear understanding of self-subsistent being. That, that's, what, that's what I would say, but I mean, that's what it is. So if you're dealing with being, you're dealing with theology. It's that simple. Dealing it, with God. Now, the, it, the, the traditional ahead. distinction is, of course, that theology is based on revelation. And your understanding of being through metaphysics is not based on revelation at all. It's just human reason uh, trying to understand being as being. Well, is there, do you, do you feel, would you, call, would you call it a Catholic book? A Catholic uh, understanding no. of Logos? Yeah, I mean, of course it's a Catholic book, because only Catholics have the, the full understanding of Logos. That's true. That's, that's, yes, of course that's true. Okay, but so is, it a, a, is it something you have to accept on faith? No, not at all. I mean, you have to accept the Catholic faith on faith. You have to accept Catholicism on faith. So I will give you a, an instance of this. Uh, is a long conversation I had with a Muslim, during the course of this book and over the course of that conversation uh, she finally came to be a believer in logos okay that's great so and then then she said well uh, what do i do now <laughs> and i said well you have to be baptized she said what i have to be what <laughs> she said to me you mean all every all this understanding i have of logos uh uh, and now it comes, I have to have water poured on my forehead? What's the connection? I don't see any connection here. What's the connection between water and Logos? Well, there, she's right. She's right. In a sense, there is no intrinsic connection there. Right. I, what I'm saying is the connection is that basically Jesus Christ is the Logos incarnate. 
-hmm. And Jesus Christ founded a church. And he understood that you, you, you had to be a member of that church in order to be saved. And in order to become a member, you had to have some type of right that would allow you in. And, mm -hmm. and he determined that the right is called baptism, which involves water, because he was baptized. Now, that that's a kind of, I'm unpacking something there, where I'm saying that you cannot enter this without faith. I mean, you can reason to a certain point. You can reason that there is a God. I do. I proved that at the beginning of the book. And if you say, if you're an atheist, I have proven that you're an irrational person right. and we have to deal with you uh, as having psychological problems rather than <laughs> ontological problems. Right. But th well, there is an element in which you cannot go forward unless you, unless you accept this statement of Jesus Christ on faith. Why, you, why, sh why should, I mean, I understand self-subsistent being. This is basically what this lady is telling me. I understand this whole idea of, of being. I understand how the Islam missed the boat. I understand all of this type of stuff. But why do I have to do that? And I said, well, I don't know. Ask Jesus Christ. Right. It's the whole I didn't do it. He, saw, he kind of made up rules for his club. And, and, and the rules pertain to the club. And since he owns the club, he has the right to make the rules. That's you, all I can say. You, there is a break. Do you feel your book? Do you feel your book as a as a has an evangelical um, tinge to it? I mean, are you hoping to bring people in, or was it just a? a I, I am hoping that there will be a, that there there will be widespread conversion to logos throughout right. the world as a result of this book. I think that this book is the cutting edge of <laughs> Not logos to be too humble, in right? human history. <laughs> Yes. I'm if there's one it. thing I take pride in, if there's one thing I take pride in, it's my humility. You're right. <laughs> so I think this book, and, and I think if you read to the end of the book, you'll understand why I'm talking this way. Because there is a moment at the end of the book where basically I have this mantle placed around my shoulders. You can read it, you can take, accept it or reject it, but that's, that's the reason I'm talking about this. So I'm saying we need to accept uh, Logos. Now, you can accept it in various ways. Uh, you can accept the logos of practical reason and stop doing irrational things like watching pornography, for example. Right, right. Uh, that's a good step in the right direction. But, but in order to have union with logos, uh, you have to join the Catholic Church. Well, let me. Because uh, that's. Go ahead. Well, let me. I was going to say. Let me. Um, when I was, it was the only thing I had to go to study on until I get the book was all the videos and the discussions that you had about the book. But I already had a sense of logos. I've been faithful Catholic for so many years. I'm not boasting. I'm just saying, thanks be to God, I was able to get back into the church and become a good, not good, but you know what I'm saying. So I was a, and there's a certain amount of logos that, and, and you might even call it grace, that extends from our liturgy. And, and in a sense, the Catholic Church, to me, is the only institution that's ever existed that truly understands a human being from all of its aspects better than any institute. I mean, it is the perfect understanding of humanity, how it works, how it fails, how it succeeds, and how to fix it and how to keep it healthy. It's all there. It, I mean, that's been my understanding or, or faith in, in the Catholic Church. So uh, I had a sense of Logos already, and what you said kind of rang a bell that was already built in my head. And I really, you know, responded to what you were saying, especially in that that video that we that we saw, because I was really discouraged about what's going on with the COVID and the lockdown and the masks and the insanity. You can't put a foot down anywhere in the America in America right now that's a stable foot foothold. Everything's up for grabs right now, like you said, a revolution. And it's scary and it's intimidating and it's depressing. But I was not depressed after listening to your video because I, I realized, well, Joe, God's not going to tell you how he's going to get things done. Sometimes you have to suffer through it and realize that he has a plan for your life. It's a perfect That's life. That's right. He's got a plan for everyone's life. He's got a plan for human history. And it always involves dealing with evil because that's the one thing you've got to uh, deal with. And, uh, you know... God brings good out of evil. That is the motion of human history. And the main good that he brings out of the main evil is consciousness. 
that we have a, a greater, as we go along, we have a greater understanding of the reality, the ultimate reality. Ultimate and reality. God right. is the ultimate reality. And we've, we're in a battle right now over who's in charge of ultimate reality. There's a guy right. named Fauci. There's a guy named Fauci who claims he's in contact with ultimate reality and therefore has the right science. to... Science! Uh, <laughs> science. That's exactly science. what I'm talking about. Right. So there's a whole... The, uh, the, this book is also in many ways a history of the rise of science and how science got into that position and how it defeated uh, religion. I mean, it's a cliche to talk about the conflict between science and religion, Right. But uh, we now live in a world where the scientist tells the church what to do. This is a sign that the church is not sure about its relationship with ultimate reality because it's logos, it's reason. So we, we've kind of accepted, okay, well, we, we are the department that makes you feel good about yourself and tells you that God cares for you. But when it comes to the big issues, we have to defer to the scientists because they know reality. And reality is always bad. It's always bad news, and they're going to tell us the bad news. Well, the church is completely capitulated here. Oh, it's completely no capitulated no to the Fauci's of the world. So you can go, I mean, and now we're back in the in lockdown 2.0, you know, after the, uh, the uh, narrative escaped from their grasp. Uh, they were rescued by the George Floyd uh, riots, right. the Black Lives Matter. That gave the, the oligarchs a new reason to beat us over the head. And now that's fading, and now we're back to lockdown. Uh, yeah, COVID lockdown 2.0, where the the, uh, the if one thing we learn from this: don't elect a woman governor. Okay, don't do <laughs> right. that because wow. she'll end up being the most tyrannical nanny you ever had in your life. And the only or, thing worse than a woman governor is a lesbian mayor. Okay, so don't elect a lesbian mayor either because you'll end up like Chicago or Seattle. Where we, Seattle, we got they, it they, they, Michael, Michael, we got it better in Pennsylvania. We have a, a Jewish Muslim convert governor and a transgender health secretary. I mean, we couldn't have a better perfect storm of complete non-logos if you no try. Wonder, no wonder you're nervous. <laughs> right. You're right. I'm stuck here in Pennsylvania. I'm living here in Armageddonville. Your, um, your life is in the hands of people who don't know anything about Logos. So no, they, they, they couldn't, they, be farther, they couldn't be farther away. It's terrifying. They couldn't be farther away from Logos. I, I mean, they were right. like... The, les, the, the lesbian attorney general of uh, Michigan uh, attacked Donald Trump because he didn't wear a mask when he visited the Ford plant. And she said this was morally irresponsible. <laughs> Well, honey, if, if, if you knew what moral responsibility right. was, you wouldn't be a lesbian, would you? But our, our health secretary, the one in charge of the health of my Catholic family, can't tell the difference between a male and a female in his own body. So he's, <laughs> he's got a body that is going to be torturing him because of the ingestion of all sorts of hormones. He's got a, a very high chance of committing suicide because transgender people commit suicide at an alarmingly high rate. Uh, and he's in charge of your health. Yes. No wonder you feel. Yes, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate the empathy. All right. So um, uh, I wanted to get back. So to get a little more positive spin on it, we could we could gripe and moan all night. Believe me, I could. But the reason I got inspiration was that uh, so. To, to connect it to the Holy Spirit a little bit, at least in the in the sense you didn't re reject the idea that Logos is the Holy Spirit, but it is other things. There are seven gifts talked about in this book, and, and it's from the church. And it says the gift of understanding, the gift of counsel, fortitude, knowledge, piety, and fear of the Lord comes from, uh, you know, embracing the Holy Spirit. And, and these, I couldn't think of a more thing that we're missing in America today than the gift of understanding, the gift of counsel. Uh, fortitude, we might have a lot of as Americans. I think we are pretty tough people to a degree. We're a little topic. Uh, the gift of knowledge. Uh, piety? No. Uh, fear of the Lord. So, I mean, we've lost, we don't have hardly any of these gifts in America right now, if you ask me. If there's a flaw 
at the center of this book is is my neglect of the Holy Spirit. Be, because I concentrated I concentrated on the relationship between the Father and the Son. Okay. And I did not I did not deal with the Holy Spirit as much as I should have. So I have to well, cover this in, in the should. second right. in the second edition. The <laughs> right. second edition. Part two. All right, I'll, I'll get a bookends. We'll buy, buy both of them. Um, uh, is there um, is there any way, like how can we how can we use logos against the COVID nonsense or the co or, or the BLM nonsense? Simple by communicating. When communication has become a sin, technically, if you even I, I think if you even assert a positive. Uh, argument against BLM or against the mask in Pennsylvania, for instance, the wearing of the mask. All of a sudden, just the simple act of arguing against it makes you the enemy. So, how can we use logos in this in this uh, in this environment that we're in? As a first of all, you have to you have to explain what's going on. You have to give an explication of what's going on, and to to talk about Black Lives Matter, it's it's. Uh, it's a resurrection of the Black Jewish Alliance. Mm -hmm. So you've got pro black proxy warriors for the Jews. It's that simple. That's yes. what the civil rights movement was. It goes all the way back to the founding of the NAACP and uh, the ADL in the wake of the uh, Leo Frank uh, lynching. So you have to talk about this as funded by George Soros. He's the man. He's using these black uh, proxy warriors to create a revolutionary situation in the United States. He's the he's the master of color revolutions in Eastern Europe, and now he's bringing the color revolution, which we might call the colored revolution, uh, to the United States of America. Oh my. <laughs> so this is what we've got to we have to have use logos to explicate, uh, give an accurate presentation of the actual situation. In terms of the COVID, you've got to talk about the conflict between science and reason. And you've got to say that Logos is the ultimate reality, not science. Okay, now we have this a very concrete situation here because we have scientists who are contradicting each other. Right, exactly. That's obvious, especially with the Internet. Now, the, the people who control the Internet are trying to eliminate that. They'll ban you. They don't like what you say about COVID. This is an outrageous abuse of their power. They should not have it. They should be punished for doing this. Okay, but let's get back to the, what do you do when scientist A contradicts scientist B? Scientist A says there's you need to wear a mask, and scientist B says that's ridiculous. Right. How do you adjudicate this? Well, the answer is Logos, and you have the power to do this because you have Logos, and Logos I... will simply say... Uh, look, I'm, I'm looking, I read your both of you, and ultimately, you're right and you're wrong. And this is precisely the point, the, the position that Donald Trump is in, because he's the ultimate guy. He's got a, well, what do I do? So he made the mistake at the beginning of bringing on Anthony Fauci yes. without knowing that this man is not a scientist. He's a political operator whose job is to get certain favorable outcomes for big pharma and his friend, Bill Gates. So if we had known that, if he, Trump had known that in the beginning, he would have spared himself a lot of embarrassment. But I'm saying that Trump is in exact, we're all in exactly the same situation that Donald Trump is in. We have to make judgments. And I'm saying you have the ability. You do have the ability to come to a, a legitimate conclusion. And you don't have to be a virologist to do this. You don't need that. It's not necessary. Yeah. You can but make the judgment yourself based have, on your ability to been. reason. I have made that choice. I have not actually wore a mask in Pennsylvania since day one. I've been in all the stores and I put up with being asked and I've told them I know the governor said I don't have to wear it if I have a condition, blah, blah, blah. But what's scary, Michael, is not me. I'm fine with not with taking the heat and not wearing a mask because I see how ridiculously ludicrous and anti-communal it is. It makes enemies of us all. But you go into the stores and every other person is walking around like a stay six feet away. I mean, it's like it's it's like being in a zombie apocalypse of some kind. It's scary. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't know that's how it. we that's how can we use logos. Go ahead. 
Well, you're a witness. So what you do now is basically the, the mask is the sign of whether you're a good citizen or an enemy of the state. That's what they're trying to impose right. on you. They're trying to impose division among the people. They're trying to impose isolation because this is their easiest way to rule everyone. They don't like it when people can get together at a bar and discuss right. things right. on their own. They don't like that. And then the Internet became one big bar where people were discussing things on their own. And now they're trying to shut down the Internet. So we have to first understand the situation, because if you don't understand anything, you can't act. That's simple. Well, we're not going to do anything without uh, leadership from our church. Right all the way up to the Jesuit up in Rome, we are abandoned at the time when we needed the church the most. No, is that, we're is struck that unfair? Down, but not, is that unfair? Yes, it's unfair. We're struck okay. down, but not abandoned. That, okay. That's what St. Paul said. Struck down, but not abandoned. You're never abandoned. You're never abandoned. This is it. And bring, even, this, even, Mike. bring this, Mike. This is what I need to well, hear. I'm just, I'm just quoting St. Paul. We're always right. struck down, never abandoned. That, that's, that's why uh, that's import, uh, an important distinction to make. Uh, and the question is, uh, the point is, uh, do we know the outcome of the battle? Well, no, we don't, because the outcome depends on our action. And we don't know what effect our action is going to have. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm saying right now we're in the middle of a battle in St. Louis. Right. And I think, it's a, I think it's going to be an important battle. I think that they, uh, a war in St. Louis, a revolutionary attempt to take over the city, uh, that was, it seems to have been thwarted for a while because on Sunday night, the leader of the opposite, the, the forces that want to take down the statue showed up and didn't have any support. Uh, it may have been the article I wrote. It's available at culturewars.com if you want to read it. It may have had some type of effect, uh, but the Catholics showed up en masse and the other side showed up with basically nobody. And now uh, it looks as if uh, the, 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 the river is flowing in the other direction now. The tide has turned. However, the missing, the missing link is our hireling bishops. You brought it up talking about uh, uh, Bishop... Uh, the new superstar, what's his name, Bishop uh, Barron. Barron, thank you. So Bishop Barron, you brought it up. He sh instead of castigating, putting it back on this poor laity, he should be out in the forefront. And, and all the bishops, if you ask me, and, and you bring up uh, Dagger, uh, uh, what was the name of the bishop in Dagger New York? Dagger John. Dagger John. Uh, Archbishop Hughes, Dagger John of uh, New York, who stood up to the nativist in the Give 1840s with... Give us these bishops, Lord. Go ahead. Tell us the story of Dagger John. Well, I mean, the nativist riots, they were burning down Catholic churches. Right. My, my, my wife's family uh, uh, burned down churches and convents in Philadelphia during the 1840s. Your wife's family uh, did this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we go, we go way back in Philadelphia. <laughs> she goes way back, much farther than I do. Okay. Uh, and so instead of just, uh, you know, it, it, this... Well, it should be said, if I may interrupt for a second to give a little context. So the the nativist would be akin to that movie uh, Gangs of New York. Butcher. That's right. right. There's a scene in there's a scene in Gangs of New York that shows Dagger John standing in front of St. Patrick's Cathedral okay. with his Irish right. uh, uh, parishioners, right. uh, most of whom, uh, you know, big, strong men who stood there and defended the cathedral. That happened again in the 1980s. There were uh, Catholic uh, firemen who stood in front of the cathedral when the homosexuals would march down Fifth Avenue and try and uh, uh, defame, uh, desecrate the cathedral. Right. They stood and fought them off. So uh, it's, it's simply not true to say that the, the bishop has no role in that. He's the leader. He's the head Everybody. of the, the diocese. Yeah. He's the head of the church in that area, and he should take a leading role. If... That, 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 you know, but you put your finger on a delicate issue because they have been intimidated. Why have they been intimidated? I think I don't think they believe that they're in contact with the ultimate reality. No, I think they feel I, there are a, two, it's a, it's a two ultimate realities. And when it comes to scientists, they simply have to roll over and do what they say. And this is the classic instance of this is America magazine, right, where the title of one of the articles is, I am a scientist, we must shut down mass or something like that. Ridiculous, completely ridiculous.
Well, it, I'm, I'm Eastern Rite, so I haven't been. I've been going to a traditional Latin mass because they haven't imposed masks or any kind of sacrilege in their in their services. But I'm an Eastern Rite uh, Byzantine Catholic, and they have gone to the extremes of first off, you have to wear a mask to be in church. That's to me, I can't do it. But the worst thing they do is so you know that in the Eastern Rite we use the tincture of the the golden spoon and we literally drop uh, uh, the host into your mouth with uh, bread and wine in a, on a spoon. What they're doing is taking that spoon after they drop it into the mouth of the, of the communicant, putting the spoon in denatured alcohol. Now, I'm offended by that as a Catholic because I'm supposed to know that that's the body, blood, soul, and divinity, even on the little, most particular level of the, the Blessed Sacrament. And they're putting it in and treating it like it needs to be disinfected. And that's a classic case, in my opinion, of what you just said, where they appreciate the religion of science over the religion of the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord. Am I getting I think, that right? I think that they've, they've, they've capitulated in a way that they should not have. So, so the, there, there was a conflict in San Francisco. Apparently, Archbishop Cordelione had come to an agreement, and then he said that, the DA or whoever it was in San Francisco reneged on the agreement. And so it set up a conflict and they just capitulated and said, okay, we'll do whatever you want. Now, uh, Chris Ferrara uh, did a lawsuit and uh, basically the um, Supreme Court of New York overturned uh, Cuomo's uh, COVID regs were declared unconstitutional. Uh, yeah. uh, what the situation is now, I don't know, but I mean, it certainly... First of all, I just don't. I just don't believe the statistics. I don't believe them. There's no, an incentive to it, say that right. everything. There's an incentive to say that the people died of COVID. That's right. the, the, we know about that because the doctor from Minneapolis mentioned it. He got the directive Be, before when it, when you filled out the autopsy. They said if you don't know, don't say anything. The new directive is if you can't be sure, say it was COVID. Well, that's ridiculous. And he got in trouble. He got banned from uh, YouTube and got uh, called on the carpet for medical malpractice because he said that. All he was doing was quoting the directives he got from the Minneapolis Department of Health. Well, that's all he just, was doing. When you, when you disconnect from the ultimate reality, science becomes ludicrous. It can be said to make any statement you want with science if it's disconnected from the logos. It's basically whoever's the well, most persuasive. What it is. That's what science became. It, right. At a certain point, it became an ideology that was anti-religious. And that's what it is in the hands of people like Mr. Dawkins, the four atheists. Right. They use science as a club to beat up religion. Right, right, science. Uh, well, that's a materialism. And materialism is straight from the Jews, which is something Our Lady of Fatima warned us about. Wait a minute, I have to know. It's, okay. it's it's a Greek it's a Greek idea, but uh, and it's a failed idea. I I cover the whole development oh, of materialism. What did I say wrong? In logos, oh, materialism. Yeah, oh, materialism yeah. isn't a Jewish idea. It's a Greek. Jew, idea. Jews Jews do not generally do not rise to the level of philosophical discourse. They generally do <laughs> not get that in terms but not of the abstract. You wouldn't hold. You wouldn't now hold you're Jewish now you're changing. You're, this this word has Forgive a different me. meaning now. Okay. When you use it that way. Educate you're saying me. idealism. What does ideal? Well, there's a philosophical idealism, which means one thing, but there's a general word of an idealist is someone who believes in doing the right thing. There are two different terms, and materialist is can be used in that way too. There's a philosophical idea of materialism that everything is based on matter. Uh, uh, in motion and consciousness is an illusion. That's philosophical materialism. And uh, it came into being in the 19th century, largely after the death of Hegel. Karl Marx was an example. And it disappeared. And I talk about how it collapsed in the chapter on Werner Heisenberg. Okay. Well, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to misspeak. But That's okay. They just have to, to be precise here. Yes. Yes, I agree. So, um, well, we are we're coming up close to an hour, and I appreciate your time. I thank you a lot for uh, talking to me about this, and I wanted to thank you personally for inspiring me with this. Is there? Um, would you like to? I'd like to leave with you making a comment on on how we can 
uh, hold our heads up. We can be have confidence. Uh, don't be afraid. Our Catholic faith is right, etc. These kinds of things we need to hear right now. Obviously, we're not getting it from our churches right now. But this book coming out at this time is fortuitous. I don't believe, like you said, it's not an accident. Uh, but, you know, in a sense, we have to not have despair. And despair is our biggest enemy right now, I would guess. Would you say? Because, you, because you've lost contact with ultimate reality. If you have contact with ultimate reality, your feet are firmly planted on the ground and they can't knock you over. That's the whole point of this book. They can't knock you over with science. They can't knock you over with Black Lives Matter. You know, you have a firm understanding of the moral law. You have a firm understanding of the order of the universe. And you have the power to put these into action. So why are you upset? No reason to be upset. No reason to be upset. What, and God's what? in charge of human history on top of that. And God's in right. charge of human history. So what's, what's the reason for being upset? There is no reason. Well, I mean, we we saw. No, you're right. I agree with you. But on, on the other hand, there has been, in a matter of five months, a complete changing of the nature of the country that I live in. At least in my state. We, we are going through a revolution right now. Uh, uh, other countries have gone through revolution. I, I have a. I am firmly on the side of the counter revolution. I do not want this revolution to happen. I'm doing everything within my power right now in St. Louis to make sure it doesn't happen, that the tide turns in St. Louis. So we have to act. Uh, but, you know, our actions, man proposes and God disposes. So right. our actions are not determinative. They're, they're necessary, but not sufficient. Because if no one acted, then nothing would happen. If you act uh, according to God's plan, then something will happen. You know, that well, something positive will happen. He's not going to do it without your effort. Right. Well, define act. I mean, are you talking political action, um, uh, armed action? Are you talking um, spiritual praying more? Obviously, we should always pray more. I'm not. That's yeah, I cannot. I cannot tell you what specific action because I can't tell you the context. I have to understand the specific context. And I have a, a plan uh, for St. Louis and I don't want to tell you what it is. No, don't. Because I'll understand. ruin the plan. Right, I will right. ruin no, the plan. <laughs> so, I, but there is, but I'm, I'm, what I'm saying is every, you cannot act unless you understand the situation. Right. And the Catholic Church, because of its commitment to Catholic Jewish dialogue uh, and the failure of that, simply cannot understand the situation because it's, the mind has been crippled by concepts like uh, the Jews are our elder brothers. Right. The Jews are our enemies in the culture wars. Uh, right. They always have been, ever since the time of uh, Jesus Christ. That's why Paul got expelled from the synagogue. Does that mean we uh, hate them? No, that means we love them because they are our enemies. And, and we, we have the pray power for to convert them. Right, and we always pray for our enemies. Well, one of your, be right. one of your, one of your best points is that, um, oh, I went out of my head. It was, it was a really good point you made about Oh, well, that's embarrassing. You were just inspiring me there, and you, you had said before that, and let's see if I can drag it out of my brain. All right, anyway, so on the final word, if you were to have to give a final word on the Logos, as, as, a, as a term of inspiration, not so much as a historical term, what would you, what would you say? Logos is rising. That's the Go question. Go to culturewars.com. Oh, Go to culturewars.com yes. and buy a copy of Logos Rising, and you'll understand what I'm talking about. Define rising. When you say Logos is rising, is there some place you can point to, or is that just... It goes from down here to up there. <laughs> that's what rising means. Okay, that's all I get. Thank you, Dr. Jones. Uh, it's been a pleasure, and uh, I, will, I will get you a link to this once I uh, place it out there. It'll be on Joseph Brothers' uh, YouTube site until I get banned. So it's a stealth way to get you back. It's a stealth Thank way to get you. you back on YouTube. And and that I was so sad that that video I couldn't find it on YouTube. Luckily, I found it on Culture Wars, uh, your website, because yeah. the, the the video was. I was so happy when I first saw. It. Actually, I have this habit of listening to you, not watching. Like I'm working, so I put the audio from your discussions on. And that one came up in it, and that day I was really down, and it just so I, I can't encourage people enough to 
watch the video at the beginning of this. Go to culturewars.com. Get Dr. Jones's book. Pray. I'm talking to my Catholic brethren now. We we gotta pray the Rosary. Gotta pray to Our Lady of Fatima. We have been get. We as Catholics, we have one of the greatest tools of logos, the greatest logos generators that has ever existed in the universe. And if we avail ourselves of it, I think we'll be okay through this. Would you agree, brother? Yes. Yes, I agree. All right. God bless you, brother. Thank you very much, brother. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. My pleasure. Right. Okay. My pleasure. Bye bye. Bye-bye.